0: It's a peaceful protest. We're walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta, you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard.
1: People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, you were a part of that. I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the 60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We got to keep pushing
2: forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
1: Great to have you back on the program. It's great to be together. Hope you had a great holiday with the family and friends. And mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're in that season now, Kirk. I mean <laughs> Come on, reach in your pocket. Let's get yes, the indeed. gifts. Let's get the meals. Uh, but we still have uh, our work to do. And uh, a little bit later, uh, we're going to spend some time with the acclaimed author, uh, John Feinstein. He's got another one coming. Uh, this one, this one might, might hurt some people. All right. I'm just going to let Uh-oh. you know that right now. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Raise a fist, take a knee. Race and the Illusion of Progress in Modern Sports. The book has been on uh, the shelves for about two weeks now. And um, you want to talk about racial polarization. We're going to be covering it coming up a little bit later in the program. Uh, also, a name change as citizenship changes or addition, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ennis Cantor is a uh, is an American citizen now, and um, Cantor is no longer the, uh, the 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 name of record per se. Still there. We'll explain yeah. it a little bit, but we do have some serious and. Totally different verdicts to discuss. To start off the program, of course, the Kyle Rittenhouse case and uh, and the Aubrey case. I want to start with the latter. As that, I'm going to admit one thing first. I couldn't watch these things every day. Yeah, I refused to watch these things every day. Right. Um, to put myself in a position that have been in time and time again, either having to cover such cases in my younger years in a newsroom or just being a active, contributing, focused, and engaged citizen. Um, from where these two cases came after the Floyd case, um, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I don't know what that makes me. I'm just going to be all honest about it. I read the clips every morning. But to sit and go through the coverage like we've done in the past, couldn't do it. Um, For the Rittenhouse case, you can see that coming from a mile away. Yeah. When the judge is setting discourse that was reckless and irresponsible at best, um, thoughtless and heartless uh, is what really comes to mind about not referring to anyone as victims, but rioters and looters you right. the tone is set already right yeah. um, this young fellow was able to raise millions of dollars, not on his own, like other people went out to to raise this money immediately after he killed people um because of the the, the evil that exists inside of so many people whereas in the Aubrey case, it was so different, my feeling was different, and I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's because we could see it, and, and that tends to lead to nowhere to hide, right? Right. Um, but there was just a feeling as that case was going on, and I was reading, and that's all I would do, was just read you know, whatever the news was of the day, that even the defendants were dealing with the reality of what they had done. Right, and I'm not. I don't get off on people's remorse. I don't. I don't. It doesn't. Just doesn't register with me. Correct. After, after things are done, but you could just. If there were two totally different tones that led to two totally different outcomes. Yeah, no, I
0: agree, and I think I'll start with uh, the uh, Ahmad Arbery, uh, the, the case uh, upon the guys who killed him. I mean, Jacks for me, the one thing that that just kept hitting me more. So was that this almost never even came about, right? It, it mm-hmm. took his family to go seek people to say, Hey, look, our brother, our, our, our cousin, our, my son was murdered for no reason for just running in a neighborhood because of the way that the County had kind of dismissed what had happened how they tried to hide it, Jax. It was a lot to me that really kept registering that this almost never even came about. And for just to see the sentences of the, the guilty verdicts go around, I immediately thought of the, Ahmaud Arbery's parents, you know, my brother who's came on the show, Aaron Morrison, who yeah. who sat down with, you know, Ahmaud Arbery's mom and went through just what she was feeling, what she's had to deal with, and for me, for her to have a, a sense of justice, a sense of peace to knowing that the people who did this to her son would, would definitely pay for this. But then at the end of the day, I'm thinking in the back of my mind again, Jax, was that this almost never came about. Like this was almost swept under the rug. Right. And I, I still can't. I, I still can't. It doesn't. It won't leave my mind, Jax. Like, that's I, the I, part.
1: No, 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 I'm with you, and and it takes you even further. And this is taking nothing from the victims from the, the Rittenhouse case. Correct. But our very situation, it's hard not to just latch into your parenthood. Yes. As I got worried about the reactions to the verdict being read, the verdicts, I should say, being read and handed down in the case and the reaction of the parents not I, I've I really tried to put myself in that position. How would I even get myself to the court that day? Right. You know, how would I even respond? What would, when would that emptiness come? You know, when, which inevitably it's going to, because yes, justice has been done, but there's still no mind. Correct. Like that. And maybe they've gotten through that part of it, or maybe they're going to deal with that all of their life. That's all I could churn through. If this was Justin or Jordan, Would I feel complete and whole in this verdict? Or is there nothing that really ever gets you there?
0: Yeah, I don't think nothing ever gets you back. You know, it's still going to hurt. It's still going to be there. But the innocence of what a man was doing and to lose his life and to almost not even have an opportunity for the people who did this to be punished for their actions. I think that's, that's, that's what I got from the verdict, yeah. for sure, was that this wasn't something, a, a kid who died for nothing, and it was just going to be forgotten. Like, this, people will pay for this. And I think that's, that's the big part yeah. for this one. When it comes to the Rittenhouse, though, I think it, there were so many holes within that case. Mm. Um, you have a vigilante, who decided to take matters into his own hands and, you know, scream self-defense? I think what really, for a lot of us, uh, people of color, black folks in general, Jacks, I mean, we just we just kept putting ourselves. If that cal house was a black man, similar age, walking down the street with a semi-automatic rifle, would we still be claiming self-defense? Would the public perception? be about self-defense. Would we still be alive, Kirk? Will we still be alive is the bigger question as well. That and I think that's where the focus was when it came to that case. Right. Was that wow, if that was us, if that was someone, would we be treated the same way? And that's what I think was a lot of the discussion between me and, you know, people who I know, friends of mine, was just like that that's that's the America that we're in. Because we just know that if that was a different person, I don't think we would have had the same result.
1: The last thing that I get from that particular case was the numb reaction of most people of color. Right. Not, and listen, there were uprisings in, in certain places, and rightfully so. But for the majority of black folks I talked to, the way I felt, my family members. We've gotten to a place, man, and it's sad because it's like, oh, I saw that coming from right. a mile away. Yeah, correct. And you don't want to not mobilize behind it, right? But it's like, man, what? where does this energy go? What ends up being the results of my disgust, uh, my outrage, the, the protesting when... Some flim flam state gun law can be the way that you get out of killing people. Yeah, and like you don't even live there, dude. Like you came from somewhere else, oh, another state, another county. Mowed some people down, and now he might have caught some hell. Right. But you walk around looking like you shopping for something, you might catch stuff. Right. The old "don't start, done won't be done" is in place when there is utter. Chaos going on, and you're walking around like you're a paramilitary. Yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> Good Lord. Shall Take we? a quick break. When we come back, uh, we're staying right in our crosshairs. This is the place where everybody comes in the Sirius XM world uh, for the cross-section of race and sports. The great sports writer, John Feinstein, has hit the bullseye. His latest book, Raise a Fist, Take a Knee, will be discussed right here on Forward Progress next.
0: Hey, this is Bob Kendrick, back with a special episode of my Sirius XM podcast, Black Diamonds. We must tell everyone we meet the greatness of John Donaldson. I'll tell you all about the Negro League stars that are up for consideration for the Baseball Hall of Fame. No one's going to believe
1: that in 2021, someone can look around and find a Hall of Fame caliber baseball
2: player that nobody knows anything about. But the fact is, we did that.
0: Listen to over 20 episodes of Black Diamonds right now on the SXM app and wherever you get your podcasts.
2: You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio.
1: Forward Progress continues. It's Jackson, it's Morrison, and we're so happy to have the great author, John Feinstein, with us here on the program. John, the, the next text, as I have so many of yours on my bookshelf, by the way, <laughs> uh, that's going on in the, the Jackson family library is uh, Raise a Fist, Take a Knee. And you're, you're really taking a deep dive in everything that we talk about on this program, the cross section of race and sports every week. So uh, you can come back
2: anytime you want, with, with a book or not. It may take you up on that, Jason.
1: No, seriously. <laughs> we, we love the fact that you've gotten into this space uh, the subtitle, Race and the Illusion of Progress in Modern Sports. I want to start with you right there. The Illusion of it there's a lot of dander that comes up with every single incident and we love that players and leagues and organizations um, have gotten a little more nimble in that space and and will look at injustice and uh look at uh, inequality and, and and allow for these teams and and its players and uh coaches to to try to stamp some of that stuff down um but i'm i'm curious and and agree with the fact uh, that you put illusion in that subtitle. Take us a little deeper there.
2: Well, uh, a, a, as you said, uh, Jason, and, and thanks guys for having me, first of yeah, all. But uh, a, as you said, there's no question there's been progress made. Uh, right. Leonard Hamilton, one of the people I talked to, uh, grew up with Jim Crow and, and and grew up with, you know, white only fountains and having to sit in the balcony at, at movie theaters. and That's And... Amazing. In, in his days, uh, there was no way he was going to be recruited by uh, he was a, as a basketball player by an SEC school or an ACC school uh, in the South. Uh, and obviously, that's all changed now. And uh, so there, there has been great progress made. Ozzie Newsom, who was the first black general manager, as you guys know, of an NFL team, pointed right. out that when he was 14 years old and went to try out for a Pop Warner team, he knew there was no way he was going to get to play quarterback, even though he was the best player because right. he was black. And nowadays, probably half a dozen of the best quarterbacks in the NFL are black. So there's been progress. But there are people and you guys deal with them and I deal with them um, out there who want to say, OK, we're done. It's all good now. And at any time the issue of race comes up, it's people, quote, creating the issue. Tony Dungy, who's one of the most reasonable human beings I've ever met, yeah. talks about the fact that two of the last 20 coaching hires in the NFL have been black and in a league that's th- where the players are 75% black and where there are plenty of qualified candidates. Eric bien run the best offense in the NFL for the last three years in Kansas City. He's interviewed for 11 head coaching jobs, and he's still the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. So the point being that while we've made progress, we still mm. have a long way to go. As Ozzie Newsom said to me, he said, 50 years later, I still feel as if you have to be twice as good mm. if you're black to be a quarterback in the NFL, to be a coach, to be a, a, a general manager or CEO. And, and as Tony said, whenever he brings up numbers like the one I just cited, people say, Why do you always have to make race an issue? Well, Tony's not making race an issue. Neither am I. Neither are you guys. Race is an issue. It'd be lovely if it wasn't, but it very much still is. And we see it every day, like you pointed out, Jason.
0: You know, John, one of the things that sticks out to me is that when Colin Kaepernick decided to take a knee, and a lot of people didn't understand why he did. And I go back to some of the, um, the background into why he decided to take a knee rather than just sit for the National right. Anthem. It was actually honoring veterans by also making attention to what he wanted to talk about with uh, racial injustice yeah. and police brutality. Did you ever expect that what he did would divide the NFL in so many different sections and, and factors to a point where it really became a bigger thing than I think the NFL ever imagined?
2: Yeah, you know, um, that's a great question because what I think, and Tommy Smith and John Carlos both said this to me, we all know how they were treated after their protest in 68, and now they're icons. Right. Uh, it only took 50-odd years to get there, but they are, and they both said they think someday people will look back on Colin Kaepernick the same way. And maybe it won't take as long. But I don't think anybody imagined that it would become uh, what it became in 2017 when Kaepernick got blackballed. That was the first thing that happened. But, and players were kneeling. But what really set it off was Trump's rant in Alabama when he right. said, fire the SOBs. You know, they're unpatriotic. Let them find another country. And they, the week before that rant, a total of six guys had kneeled before games in the NFL. That week, two, more than 200 either knelt or stayed in the locker room for the national anthem. So his, his rant, maybe that's what he wanted. He wanted to, you know, get his base all wound up. And, and he did because right. I was doing an NFL book that year and I was in a, an NFL stadium every Sunday. And every Sunday, it was the same thing. Players, 90% or so of them, black, kneeling, Fans, 90% of them are so white, booing. And your point is a very good one because I would say 90% of that 90% didn't know why they were booing. They were booing because a racist president told them they should boo and because they didn't understand what the protest was about. In fact, those guys were kneeling because they were patriots and they were willing to put themselves on the line and take whatever criticism came with kneeling from fans, from media, from whomever, because they were trying to make a point about something they saw that was wrong.
1: The book is Raise a Fist, Take a Knee. It's out uh, where you buy your books. Get it, get a couple, put them in a stocking. It's that time of year. Uh, The author is John Feinstein. He's with us here on Forward Progress. John, you touched on something that I've been trying to preach to people Um, since 2016, that with the election of Donald Trump, and this is the choice that he made to go down this particular path, um, his rhetoric allowed for people, um, as we talked about before we even came on the air, who had probably stuffed that bigotry in their pocket. It was there. They'd kind of slid into the shadows. We, We tried to come into this, period of reason there was nothing was perfect right but a lot of the intense vitriol that we hear and see about now more than ever and you have to go back to pre uh, 70s to 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 get to that just constant day in day out uh inundation of racist feelings with ease coming out of people was there anything else as you were going through your reporting and writing here that, that was really registering with the fan base that was so disconnected from the players they were willing to cheer?
2: I don't think, Jason, that, that most of the fan base ever registered. And that was part of the, you know, when I initially started down the road to want to do this book, it was during the 2017 uh, anthem protests. And I went to see John Thompson, the, the great basketball coach, who had become a mentor of mine as we both got older and stopped fighting with one another, which we did all the time when I covered his George, great Georgetown teams. Yeah. And I said, I want to write a book about race and sports, but it's such a huge topic. Yeah. I don't know where to begin. And he looked at me and he said, you might as well try to explain the Trinity. And then, uh, then he pointed at me again and said, which is why you need to do this book. Yeah. And that was when I knew I wanted to do the book, but... I started out thinking I was writing about the polarization. And then as I researched it, I talked about a hundred people, most of them black, not all of them black, but most of them black. Uh, I realized that wasn't really what the book was about because saying that we're polarized racially in this country is like saying that we just celebrated Thanksgiving. It's a (laughs) given. Um, But what I did find, and you guys would be far more aware of this than I am is that it's still more difficult in 2021 to live in this country as a black person than it is to live in this country as a white person. It just is. If I get pulled over at night by a cop, it's because I was speeding. I ran a red light, whatever it was. I'm annoyed. I'm angry. I might get a ticket. I'm probably a little scared uh, because you're always scared when you get pulled over. But if you guys get pulled over a there's a good chance you're pulled over. You were pulled over for DWB driving while black. And secondly, you have good reason to fear. For your lives, especially if it's a white cop. I mean, I know people don't. A lot of people don't want to hear that, but statistics prove it. And as I spoke to all these different guys, I I didn't encounter one person who hadn't been stopped for D.W.B. at some point. Hmm. And as Doc Rivers said, the first question is always the same: Where'd you get this car? And the the only story I heard that was different than that was from Cullen Jones, the Olympic swimmer, who was stopped by a cop while walking his dog. And the cop asked him a bunch of questions implying that the dog was somehow stolen before he finally decided that maybe it was in fact Cullen's dog and went away. He made a U-turn and came back to Cullen on the street. And I said to Cullen, well, congratulations, you just became the first guy I've talked to who was stopped for WDWB, walking dog while black. (laughs) And so I, I, what, what I really found is that there are a lot of white people in this country who don't want to understand what it's like to be black. I don't understand what it's like to be black because I'm not black, but I'm trying to understand. That's what I tried to do with my reporting in this book.
0: You know, I think also one of the things, too, John, is that so many times I felt like people have defended the black protesters right and tell them hey understand what is going on here are you surprised at how much hate or disagreement or backlash that you may get or others get when trying to express what
2: this really is all about at times i wish i could say i was surprised kirk uh Mm -hmm. i think disappointed uh would be the word um as you guys probably know i've covered a lot of golf through the years uh, and you should see I wrote a column In Golf Digest uh, After the shooting In, the shooting in Kenosha uh, and, and Which I, I criticized The PGA Tour Because it was the only major sport that didn't shut down For two days When, when that happened You remember Major League Baseball The games stopped Football practice stopped The NHL and NBA stopped their playoffs For a couple days Golf did nothing uh, and I wrote a column saying that this, this is one of the problems with golf uh, and th- the backlash from that column. People canceled subscriptions. I actually got death threats. I, I, I've had a lot of people dislike what I've written through the years, yeah. but that's the first time I can remember people actually getting my email and writing to me and saying, you're going to die. And my wife was scared for a few days. And I said, no, no, the, the, the anonymous people aren't to be frightened of. It's the people who give you a name, a phone number, whatever that you're frightened of. But the point is that there, there are people, people don't want to hear that this issue still exists. You know, they, they, they want to, they. It, it's like when my wife comes to me with bills, I go, please just don't, don't tell me about it. So I don't have to believe that it's true. But it's, this is obviously a much more serious issue. And so I, I wouldn't say I was surprised. That's why I started to do the book, because I, I felt like these feelings existed. And I wanted, as I said, I wanted to talk to people who could understand them better than, than I could. And George Raveling, the, the, the great basketball coach, fo- coach, who, as you know, still owns the notes to Martin Luther King's right. I Have a Dream speech because he was a bodyguard for Dr. King that day in 1963, said to me, John, I think it's great that you're doing this book. And, and if a black writer tried to do it, he would probably just be written off as another black guy complaining. Uh, you'll be written off by some as another liberal complaining, but that is different. He said, but the thing you need to understand going in, because George was one of the first person, people I talked to because I've known him forever is you can never understand what it's like to walk in the shoes of a black man. Yeah. And that's why in the, in the forward to the book, Doug Williams makes that point. He says, John's not trying to claim that he understands what it's like to be black, but what he has done here, what I've tried to do anyway, is let black people explain what it's like to be black.
1: The book, raise a fist, take a knee, John Feinstein, the author with us here on forward progress. So, Happy to have you with us, John. It, the, the thing that's most interesting to me is the time that you took. This seems like this could be something that just kind of rolled right off the laptop. I guess it rolled off your pen in the past, but now off the laptop. Um, but it seems like you took your time and you, and you, you went and talked to a lot of people. Um, I'm going to ask you the quintessential question. Anybody blow you away?
2: Blow me away? Yeah. Uh, yeah, several people did. Uh, yeah. and, and Mike Tomlin, for starters. Really? Uh, I, I didn't know Mike Tomlin uh, mm-hmm. at all. Uh, and uh, he spoke to me because Tony Dungy encouraged him to speak mm-hmm. to me. Tony Dungy gave him his first job in the NFL. That's sweet. And Tony was one of the first people I approached. Not that I knew him well either. In fact, I wrote him this long text telling him what I was trying to do and who I was. And he wrote me back and he said, wrote me right back. He said, John, I know who you are. I've read your books. Come on down any This was pre pandemic. And I went to his house in Tampa and we spent several hours together and boy, another guy who blew me away. Um, but Mike was so brutally honest, you know, guys who coach in the NFL, they spend their Sundays finding ways to spin things, wins or losses. If you win, well, it's not a big deal. If you lose, well, it's not a big deal. Uh, Tony doesn't spin things. Uh, Mike doesn't spin things. Neither does Tony, but um, he was fantastic. The, the, the There were other guys who, who you know, who surprised me, even though I've known him for 40 years, uh, Mike Krzyzewski, uh who's very passionate on this issue. And, who said to me that uh, George Floyd's murder made him realize how naive he was mm. about racial issues. He, he said, look, I've coached black. I played with black kids <laughs> when, I, when I was in high school and at West Point. I've coached black kids. All, I coached black men uh, on, the, on the Olympic team. He said, but in many ways, you know, you go to Duke, there's a certain level of privilege, whether you're black or white. If you're on an Olympic team, you're an NBA zillionaire. Those aren't the people that that I needed to know more about. And he actually set up Zoom meetings with all of his ex-players, which is a lot of guys. And they had very intense conversations back and forth. Mike said many of them broke down. uh, Excuse me, talking about their experiences. And if you haven't seen it, you should go look at Mike's Black Lives Matter video. Yeah. It's two minutes and 47 seconds and it's full of passion and it's unscripted. He told me that he just asked Nolan, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, Nolan Smith, one of his assistant coaches, to stand next to the camera so that he could talk to Nolan. Right. And it's, it's pretty impressive. And, and this is a guy who voted Republican most of his life. Hmm. His first uh, Democratic presidential vote was for Barack Obama in 2008. And it was yeah. funny because I've known Mike since he was the coach at Army. And I saw him a few months later and I said, is it true you voted for Obama? And he said, yes, I did. And I hugged him. And I said, my little boy is growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I won't keep hearing the next two words he spoke to me, uh, but he's come a long way. He really okay. has. So th- that kind of blew me away, too, in a different way.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Look, uh, 18 months of research and interviews, John. Uh, the one thing I do always ask is that me personally, knowing guys who wanted to do more, but probably couldn't handle the backlash of being in the forefront, being in the spotlight. Did you encounter any guys who said, man, I wish I could have done more. I wanted to do more, but I also wanted to keep my job because I do know guys who felt that I lost my job for being outspoken or taking a knee. Did you encounter any of those guys?
2: Yeah, I, I did, Kirk. There, 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 were, there were guys who, who said very honestly, look, uh, oh, a perfect example, Shaka Smart. Uh, one, of the, one of the really bright guys I've known in basketball. In, in fact, years ago when he was coaching at, at Virginia Commonwealth, uh, his team came and played in a charity tournament here in Washington that I was involved with for 20 years. And we, there's a ba- there was always a banquet the night before. And Shaka sat with my wife and I. His wife was pregnant, so she, she didn't make the banquet. But uh, we walked out. My, my wife knows less about sports than I know about fashion, uh, right. which is almost impossible. <laughs> but she looked at me and said, you need to stay close to that guy because he's going to be a star because he was so bright and, and right. so, so thoughtful. And, and Shaka is those things. Yeah. And he told me that a couple things. that When he was coaching at VCU, and you know all those statues in Richmond of Confederate war heroes, That's many right. of which have come down uh, in the last year, uh, he said he drove past those statues every morning on the way to school. Um, and, and even though he didn't have to, he could have taken a different route because he wanted to remind himself, you know, if I can deal with that part of our past, I can deal with anything. And when he got to Texas shortly after Trump was elected, he was asked in a press conference because he had campaigned for Hillary and he, he had actually put on a rally for Obama in 2012 in which he introduced President Obama. But he was asked in a press conference how he felt about Trump being elected and And he was very frank about it, you know it, it's a poor reflection on our country that someone with these attitudes would be elected president. That didn't play very well in Texas. and if he if he'd been going to the final four every year, you know how fans are they'd, they'd have forgiven him. but right. they never he was never really forgiven in Texas for making those comments. And the president of the school called him and said, "A lot of our boosters, maybe most of our boosters." voted for Trump so you need to cool it and Shaka did cool it and I'm so happy he's at Marquette now because in Wisconsin he can be a lot more honest about things than he could afford to be coaching at the University of Texas
1: John just a couple more for you thank you so much for being so uh, open with your time but do you feel like and I'm going to ask you to, to have an ego here do you feel like th- that the power of the stories that you'll be sharing can shift people? That that's the thing that we're that's where we're struggling. You know, maybe we're grabbing these these uh, what are they now? The Zers, the Gen Zers that that showed up and and across racial lines were far more impactful than everyone before them. Uh, obviously, um, maybe that's the group we turn to, but we keep trying to turn to this next generation, hoping it's going to be better. And we still have these audiences that are polarized.
2: Jason, here's what I honestly think. Um, There are going to be people on the left who already agreed with me before uh, they read the book, who I think will like the book and who will say, yeah, that's evidence of of what I already thought. There are also going to be people on the right who will never read the book, who will just say, you know, Yo, he's just a liberal. He's just this. He's just that. You know, the the whole woke thing uh, will come up. But I hope that there are some people in the middle, if there are any left in this country, um, but who might be on the fence, who might be who are moderate enough either either way, to say wow. Because one of the things I've tried to point out to people, um, no matter how far right they might be, is don't judge the book based on my politics Mm. judge the book based on the facts that are there the numbers are indisputable there are only three black coaches in the nfl out of 32 uh there are only five general managers there are only two black general managers in major league baseball there are you know lovey smith got fired by the bears with a 10 and 6 record no. After three years earlier, taking him to the Super Bowl with the immortal Rex Grossman as his quarterback. Um, so there are, those are facts. I right. didn't make that up. I'm not expressing an opinion. Uh, and so I'm hoping that, uh, that people will, in a sense, give, give the book and give the facts a chance. It doesn't really matter what I think. But I think the, the, the stories that guys tell in, in, in the book the numbers that are there, the facts that are there, I hope it might, sway, it might sway some people. And I've heard from some people already who said, I was skeptical about reading this book. And, and now that I'm into it, I, I see where you're going. And I hope that'll happen with as many people as possible.
0: Yeah, John, that was my, my last question as well. I'm along the lines of what Jason just asked, when I read Raise a Fist, Take a Knee, what should I, when I put that book down, What should I be saying? What should I be doing? What should I be thinking?
2: Well, Kirk, I hope that what you'll be saying, doing and thinking is we've got a lot more to do. Mm -hmm. And there are there are people out there who are capable of making things better. Um, I hope the three of us are among them. Uh, There are some who can do more than others. Uh, I think if Roger Goodell were to sit down with some of his owners and say, look, this is ridiculous. This is embarrassing. That would help things. But he doesn't want to give up 44 million bucks a year. And I don't blame him for that, frankly. Um, Mike Tomlin and Tony Dungy both said to me, excuse me, that they think Roger Goodell is genuinely embarrassed by the numbers uh, and by what happened in Kaepernick, although he certainly didn't do anything when it happened. Um, But he doesn't have the power to tell the owners you need to do better with this because he doesn't want to lose that salary. And again, as I said, none of us blame him for that. But I, I hope people sit down and say, Jesus, there's something I can do to help in this area. But, and particularly those of us in the media, one of the things that disappointed me, <clears throat> and I've been part of the media for 100 years, but when Kaepernick was blackballed in 2017, go back and read. The NFL media, there were all these stories with quotes from anonymous front office executives who said, oh, no, he hasn't been blackballed. He just can't play anymore. He was 29 years old. He'd been a starter in the league the year before. And all of a sudden, he can't play anymore. And none of it was on the record. And they accepted, you know, these guys just saying whatever they wanted to say anonymously. And I I think we're all to blame for that. We in the media. And you you remember his so-called tryout a couple of years ago? Mm in Atlanta, and there was this controversy because the, the NFL wanted it closed. They, they were the only ones allowed to video it. And Kaepernick said, no, 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 no. I want it open. I want anybody to be able to come in and shoot video if they want. And so they went to a high school instead of the Falcons training camp. And I walked into a, a game that Sunday and I was, because people knew how I felt about Kaepernick. And I was put upon by people, said, media people saying, <clears throat> You know, what do you think of Kaepernick now, huh? What do you think? He had his chance and, and he blew it. Well, he didn't have a real chance. We all know that. That, that was fraudulent. And, and when I said that, the only guys in the press box who backed me up were, were black reporters. Mm. So we need, we need more white guys, like with the Black Lives Matter protests. We need more white people involved. That, and and, and <coughs> I hope more white people will read this book and say, geez, we do have a lot of work still to do.
1: John, thank you for this text. Thank you for your time. Raise a Fist, Take a Knee is the book Race and the Illusions of Progress in Modern Sports. Thank you for the time and happy holidays, bud.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Absolutely. When we come back, we will celebrate freedom. I mean, really celebrate it with Innis Cantor. He's gone the next level with his citizenship. We'll get inside of it here on forward progress next.
2: You're listening to Sirius XM radio. Radio. We now return to forward progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
1: Thanks for rolling with us all the way through the program here on forward progress, Kirk Morrison, Jason Jackson. And uh, let me introduce to you one Innes Cantor. Freedom. That's making a change. You're going to go change some things. Uh, and this man, uh, the Celtics big man, has been a critic, Kirk, of human rights issues. And on Monday, became a U.S. citizen and took the opportunity, I'm sure as you, as you can when you're filling out your new paperwork, <laughs> right. uh, to legally change his name to Ennis Cantor Freedom. Uh, moving forward, Freedom will be the last name, Innis Freedom. And I haven't seen the Celtics jerseys yet. So right. I'm assuming that the that, uh, that equipment crew had to get in there and, and make some stuff. Cantor uh, will be his new um, middle name. But um, listen, his experience uh, being raised in Turkey uh, has been challenging, not just for him, but his entire family. It's created a, a wedge yes. in his family. Um, to say that he's not welcome in Turkey is a, an understatement. <laughs> um, for him to turn to the nation in which he's been able to make his dreams come true in this fantastic uh, 11-year NBA career of his is, is, is a beautiful part of his story. Uh, but for a long time now, uh, Freedom, we will respect what a man wants to be called, um, has used social media and his, sp- and his stage uh, as an NBA player. Um, to criticize his home country, uh, China's treatment of uh, particular communities—it's—he um, it, doesn't hide it. He stands yeah. out front, and now he gets to wrap the red, white, and blue around him as a part of that.
0: You know, I, I want to believe that he also had his um, citizenship revoked from from Turkey. That's right. He—he's um, also um, the team that he's been a part of. And I believe in China, he's been or in certain places around the country. I got to make sure I find out it's they've taken Celtics games down or whatever team that he's playing. I mean, right. that's how big of an of an issue this is worldwide. But I also think it's it's the two sides of of an America that we live in, too, because we live in an America where we do see that there is still things that we're working on in terms of equality, justice, But for a man who comes from a different part of the world, wanting to be here for liberties that we sometimes I think kind of neglect at times, Mm -hmm. you know, he's coming here just for freedom, not coming here. He's been here, but to now be a U.S. citizen and feel like I have freedom for what I want to say, what I want to do and not feel like I have to. You know, do what I'm asked to do from the country. You know, he, when he came to the U.S., he was a big name, you know, big basketball star, tall player. You know, he, he was so many people back in Turkey were hoping that he would come. And you know, he was a superstar, superhuman at times. But yet he spoke out with his voice on things that he knew that was not right. And to see him now become a U.S. citizen and the pride that he takes in that. You know, I had a chance to watch some the video of him being, you know, sworn in as a U.S. citizen. You you, you kind of take pride in that because yeah. you know, he's he's accepting of understanding that I'm in a place now that I can make change. And, and he's doing that. And I think that's pretty cool because we don't see that side of it a lot from a guy who, I mean, from professional athletes. You know what I mean? We, it's, everyone's always taking care of themselves, but he's doing this in order to take care and still be a voice, a a pillar for people like him who want to make that change in their community and even back home.
1: The thing that I think is most important to draw from all this, outside of obviously a new nation and a new name and all these major (laughs) things, is that the time and energy and interest you have to have to, to be well-informed to take these stands, yeah. right? This is not stuff that sits on the front page of USA Today every day, right? right. This is not the stuff that's always leading on Fox, CNN, and MSNBC. The, the the deep dynamics of poor treatment of people around the world, which I think is a recent, a decent capsule to put this all in, um, that, that has to become your personal interest. That has to almost be the top, and I hate to use the term hobby, but like it has to be beyond the work you do, you know, on the court. The next most important thing to you, I've got to stay informed. I got to know what's going on. I got to read the next thing. This man is following yeah. what's going on in Tibet and mm-hmm. Taiwan and Hong Kong. Yes. Um, <laughs> standing uh, with not a lot of people, but standing uh, for the boycott of the Winter Olympics, which are in Beijing, by the way, in 2022. Um, and as you said, there's been ramifications for the organization. Impact on the NBA's bottom line. right? Because the most populous country in the world is trying to yank down Celtics games everywhere they can. <laughs> <laughs> That's when you know it's a big deal.
0: Come on, it's man. It's a big deal. But They hear you. <laughs> I did immediately, though, when I did hear the story, no, Jacks. I immediately went to... Uh, Ron Art, formerly Ron Artest, mm. right? Met a world peace when he changed his name. Right. And remember on the back, it was world peace. It was on the back of his jersey. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know how many people who follow, you know, Lakers basketball or Ron Artest formerly or met a world peace, but that was the message that he had on his back. And you saw it go up and down the court for 48 to 60 minutes a night, right? I mean, if we have 48 right. minutes a night. I think it'd be similar with Enos Cantor. This or Enos Cantor freedom, I should say. This is almost as similar as what they did down in the bubble. Remember guys wore messages on on their jerseys, uh, for their nameplate. But this is also to me now when you see that word freedom, it does have a bigger meaning. And people may research what he's why he changed his name, right. for what he changed his name for. So again, this is just a a, a huge step, I think, for Um, Enos, but also a huge step for people who want to know, you know, how important it is to still keep keep up the fight, keep fighting. What what can I do? How can I
1: help? Before we get out the door, a a brief word about one of the great pioneers in sports, Lee Elder, first black golfer to play in the Masters, paving the way for Tiger Woods and so many others to follow. He died uh, this week, age eighty seven. Um. He didn't look great at the Masters in April, but it was so awesome that he was there right. and in position to be honored as one of the greats in this game. Yeah, I mean, just for
0: me, uh, every time I pick up a club and, you know, you go to a country club, a public course, wherever it is, just know that there was people who weren't allowed to do that. And mm-hmm. Elder was the guy who came in and started to just let everybody know that, hey,
1: black faces can play this game too. May rest in peace the elder one of the greats that's going to do it for this edition of forward progress we thank john feinstein for coming by he's promised to come by whenever we call him so pernell brown the illustrious producer of the program will make sure that uh, john swings by again so for pernell and kirk morrison i'm jason jackson thanks for tuning in to forward progress we'll talk to you next time